process of that, um, the lector said, hold on a second. It's not a time to be sad. This is a time to rejoice. And one of the things that blessed me is in verse, verse 7, of various priests, they helped the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read distinctly from the book of the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. So it's not just enough to have the Bible in your house. You've got to understand it. And this is the problem with so many people. They know the word is in their house. The problem is the word isn't in their heart. So because of that, they're always worried. They're always concerned. Yet Jesus commanded us not to worry. How in the world could you decide not to worry? Well, obviously, Jesus who knows us, who created us, knows that we could choose to be happy or choose to be sad. We can choose to trust God and to move by faith, or we can choose to be worried. So Jesus reminded them. He says, don't worry. Don't worry about these things. This is what the Gentiles do. They're always worried about these things. But you put my kingdom first, and I'll add these things to you, because there's something they don't know. Faith will change a situation. Faith is the substance of things that you hope for, the evidence of things that you don't see in the original langu- languages, you don't see in the natural. So you see it in here, you just don't see it out here yet. This is why when you move by faith, you start speaking with your friends, most of them will criticize you. Most of them will say, are you out of your mind? You can't do that. You don't have the resources. You don't have the right last name. You don't have the right color on your skin. You don't, have, you don't come from the right neighborhood. What's the matter with you? Are you out of your mind? They'll tell you these things. Has anybody heard something like that or a, deriv- or a derivative thereof? Yes. Absolutely. It's because they don't see what you see. Faith is substance of what you hope for. Yes. Now, in a court of law, what's the only thing the judge will honor? Evidence. But faith is evidence of something you don't see yet. In a court of law, they need to see some empirical evidence. But in the law of the kingdom of God, even though you don't see it in the natural, you can already possess it in the spirit realm. You can possess it in here. Hallelujah. And what most people don't realize is that when you have something, when you see it clearly on the inside, now God has allowed you to experience something that is creative in nature. Because if you don't have that job yet, and you're not experienced uh, in it yet, but yet you want it, you want it with all your heart, you're sleeping, and you're eating it, and you're you're thinking about it all day long, and you're almost obsessing over it already. Yet everybody, they look and say, you're not experienced, you're just a young lad. David, you can't kill the giant. But yet, you already have it on the inside. What will happen is, the next level of the law of faith comes into play, which is, that which you believe is the very thing that you'll act out. Amen. Amen. And here's our problem. We're acting like failures. And you will only act like a failure, because in your heart, you believe you are a failure. So your actions actually reflect what you believe on the inside. I'm getting no amens right now. I got one true and, and, and that's it. But it's true. We, as human beings, can't operate opposite that. We act out what we believe. We tend to do that. 
because we don't understand the law of faith and action. It's called the law of sowing and reaping also. The very thing you sow is that which you will reap. If you take an apple seed, you cannot plant it and get oranges. You will get an apple tree, an apple orchard. You see, and, and this is what happens. If you don't believe that God loves you, if you don't believe that you're unique, if you don't believe that God called you and created you for something special, you won't act special. You will act average. You will act mediocre. And that's the problem with medi- mediocrity. It goes down to a belief system. So we have to start acting who we are. How do you act like a king? How do you act like a prince? How do you act like a princess? Well, you have to know that you're from a, a, a holy lineage, a, a, from a royal lineage. Amen? Amen. You have to know that as a child of God, you come from a royal priesthood. And it's not that you're thinking you're big and bad. It's now you're going to act with confidence as you go out to the marketplace. You're going to go out in confidence. Even though you might not have the best example, you might not have the best name or not come from the best neighborhood or didn't study at the best school, but you have a grace upon you that even though you might not be the best qualified, God will raise you up in the eyes of your potential supervisors and will allow you to walk in and get the job. God will give you the grace and the favor in school. God will give you the grace and favor wherever you go. Because you have an anointing on you that they don't understand. And when you start operating by faith and you start recognizing who you are in Christ, hallelujah, you'll start acting that way and the very actions will start creating your better future. And here's another thing people don't understand. Anytime you create a memory... A memory, uh, 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 something that you remember, something that is strong to you, something that made you happy, something that, you know, as a child, maybe a happy memory. I remember when I was a child, I went to the Fresh Air Fund. And that was a happy memory for me. I don't remember most of my youth. It's like a, a scrambled haze. No, serious. But I remember the days of the Fresh Air Fund. They would take me for one full month. And take me to a camp. I don't know where the camp is. I don't remember it. But I remember the month we played baseball. We went paddling. We, I mean, we had fun. We went swimming. Uh, the guys, uh, we did all sorts of sports. I loved it. They sent me two weeks to a family in Lancaster. I still remember the name. Carl and Margaret Fultz. I was only 11 years old, people. But they were happy memories. And here's what happens. When you're happy... That happiness, that emotion acts like a glue. And it brings together the emotion together with the corresponding, watch this, the corresponding emotion, the feelings, the textures, the smells. And it creates a permanent bubble in your brain, as it were. That bubble is composed of neurons, each one remembering a tidbit of that particular memory. So it's yours. It is in your brain. That will never go away. It belongs to you. Nobody else knows. But when you start talking, immediately the happiness starts exuding. Oh, yeah, I remember. I remember when I hit that home run. Uh, we, we beat. I, I, I'm, I'm still impressed at myself. We beat the counselors, the adult counselors. We were that good in baseball. I'll never forget it. You guys don't know what I'm talking about. See, but this memory is mine. 
it'll be mine forever. You can't take it away from me. It belongs to me. And this is part of how faith operates. When God shows you something, when God uh, gives you a, a, a hint of wisdom, of understanding, now, since the brain doesn't know the difference between something that is actually happening or something that will happen, I want to let you know, people that move by faith have it before anybody else has it. See, but they don't understand that. But since you understand the law of faith, you can actually possess a thing before it's yours. Because what happens is when you have an actual memory, your brain will gather together all the specifics and, and, and bubble it up. And it will give you a permanent marker in your brain. You'll remember it for the rest of your life. But it's the same thing with vision. The brain doesn't know the difference. It takes it as an actual occurrence. So what will happen is... God will show your vision, whether you're a preacher, whether you're a teacher, whether you own a business that's going to bless humanity, whether it is you're going to go to government, whatever it might be, the same thing starts happening. You start looking at it and say, oh, that feels so good. You're able to actually walk into the future and you can stand in your place of authority, visit it and say, wow, I like this about myself. I like that God created me to be able to do this. And I know that Harry, Larry, Curly and Moe don't believe I can do this, but God said I can and God has anointed me so I will stand in these shoes sometime in the future so this belongs to me and it belongs to me now hallelujah so you go back to your present and you realize oh my god I actually possess this now and here's what happens your brain does the same exact thing like if it were to like if it were an actual memory it takes it creates a bubble around it it takes all the neurons and it remembers it and places it in your brain now it's a substance Faith is the substance of things that you hope for. Nobody else has it, but you have it. It's in your brain. And now you'll start acting it out. Nobody believes you, but you don't care anymore. You're not going to do anything. Yes, I am. Watch me. And you walk into it and you'll do whatever it takes and you'll go to school and you'll study that business and you'll get into politics and you might lose the first time, you might lose the second time, but you don't care. You know, Lincoln lost a lot, you know, before he, before he lost a lot. But he had it in here. He knew that he was supposed to be involved in helping government. He had to be involved in governance. It was something that was inside. It was almost like an obsession. People of faith look like people that have an obsession. It's got to get done. I feel it's got to get done. What's the matter with you, man? (laughs) They see something that you don't. That's what it is. So we as people of faith have to understand we're coming into the season not to be worried. We're coming in, in this season, into the season to make a difference. We're coming into the season rejoicing already. Why? Because I know the reason for the season. And I'm not saying I know that it's because of the gospel. No, I know Jesus. He's the reason for the season. And when he died on the cross, he turned my future around and he said, Victor, you now have a new beginning. Because I died on the cross, now you're going to be a conqueror. You're not going to be the conquered anymore. You're going to be the head. You're no longer going to be the tail. I'm turning your situation around. I'm going to bless you in the city. I'm going to bless you in the country. I'm going to bless you going in. I'm going to bless you. Hallelujah. Amen. Why? Because he changed my future. That's the reason for the season. So I determined that I will rejoice. I'm not going to worry about that. But somebody said it's a recession. Well, my God, who happens to be my heavenly father, who happens to be my daddy, who happens to be my Abba, guess what? He's the owner of all the gold and all the silver. So if God is able to own it, he's able to supply it. 
Praise the Lord. And he's the owner of wisdom. Actually, he is wisdom. He just doesn't contain wisdom. He is wisdom. And the spirit of wisdom resides in me. So I don't need to, oh God, please. Please give me a little wisdom. No, it's in you already. All you have to do is tap in to the wisdom that you already possess. We're looking for some miracle, you know, like a lightning to hit us. Or we're looking for a word. Somebody could come from the other side of the world. Yea, my daughter. Yea, my son. I'm going to bless you. I'm already blessed. The word says so. I don't need a confirmation. I'm already blessed. Say to your neighbor, you are already blessed. Hallelujah. Says so 10 things that I've determined I'm going to do this year. Because he who has not Christmas in his heart will never find it under a tree. You've got to have it in your heart. I have Christmas in my heart. It's not happy holidays. Christmas, it's the story of the cross and beyond the cross. It's the story that that literally separated B.C. from A.D. Amen. Glory to God. The greatest story that ever exists. Will it be this year for you Merry Christmas or or will it be happy holidays? First thing you need to decide to do in this season. Decide the environment that will control this season. You see, we are thermostats. We actually create our environment. A thermostat is a great thing. Because it could be 50 in here. And all I have to do is to go to the thermostat and put it at 72. And within minutes, maybe half hour or so, this place will be at 72. Are you aware that when you arrive to a place, you are a thermostat and you are the one that sets the atmosphere? Some of you aren't aware of that. So I'm going to say it again. You are a thermostat. You can change and shift an atmosphere. I don't like my job because my job, they're all nasty, all nasty folk. I don't like nobody in my job. I hate going to my job. I get depressed when I come to my job. Well, why don't you go and change it instead of being complaining about it all the time? Go in there and start praying. Go in there and start making prophetic declarations. Go in there and just say, thank you, Lord, that joy is in this place, that peace is in this place. Thank you, Lord, that, that we, we love each other. We appreciate each other. Why don't you go over there and start showing the love of God? You're probably just as much a proof face as all the rest of the bunch. No, I'm serious. Sometimes I've heard it from my, in my own ears. People say, you know, that guy, he says he's a Christian. I don't see it. If that's what Christianity is about, I don't want anything to do with it. I've heard these things. That's a sad situation. First thing I'm going to do. The Bible says that our tongue is a pen of a ready writer. How we choose to use it will determine our future and destiny. That's how come when, when I'm in the workplace, I'm going to confess that which the Lord says. I'm not going to get into this arguing and fighting and bickering. I'm going to love. I'm going to rejoice. And if some, some situation arises that makes me irritated, I go upstairs. I talk to my wife sometimes. Oh, man, this guy is irritating. This guy, you know, and I talk about it with her because, see, I can bounce stuff off her and she's going to love me anyway at the end of the day. And I get over it quickly so I can get back to loving. No, I'm serious. Because some of you talk to the wrong folk. We need to know who we're talking to. Because in creating the atmosphere, you need to have the right people around you. You need, you need people that are not going to blow your spot. You, you need to know, to, to, to deal with people that are faithful to you. That's important as in a proper atmosphere. Don't just talk to anybody. Because not everybody respects you. Not everybody wants you to prosper. Most people love that you're in misery. 
Really, they, they, they like that. I can deal with that when you're in misery, but if this guy ever gets successful, I don't know if I can take that. I'm going to have to start hating on him if he gets successful. No, I'm serious. Some people will hate you if you become successful. If you even talk about being successful, they'll already hate But we cannot depend on people. We have to depend on the word of the Lord, our faith in Christ, and we need to change our environment. So tell your neighbor, it's time to change your environment. And we're the ones that decide that. Number two, carefully design how you're going to operate in this season. It's time to design your better future. Some people just let it happen. But are you aware that you could design a successful life? Are you aware that you could design where you're going to be in five years, God giving you life and health? See, it's not my business when I'm passing away. It's God's business. It's my business to design the life while I'm here. It's my business to occupy. Jesus told told us, occupy until I return. The word occupy is a military term. It means to take land, to continue to increase your influence. So I'm going to continue increasing my influence. I'm still going to school. I'm still declaring my best days are yet ahead. Say, say with me, my best days are ahead. Hallelujah. Some people see worse days ahead. I see my best days ahead. Glory to God. Carefully design how you will operate in this season. Take your, your year. Break it down into 12, 12 months. Start writing your goals. I'm going to lose 20 pounds by March. Don't, don't do New Year's resolutions. Do goals that you can live with. I'm going to lose 500 pounds this year. You're not going to lose 500 pounds. If I was a betting man, I'd put a bet against that. I can lose 5 pounds. See, be more realistic. Do goals that you can work toward. You know, be realistic with yourself. Otherwise, you're just going to hurt yourself. Do realistic goals. And you subdivide them. And, 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 you know, love yourself enough. Honor yourself enough to work through these goals throughout the whole year. You will be a lot greater ahead. At the end of the year. When I started writing my book, I didn't know how to do it. So I asked people that have done it in the past. I said, Victor, you first have to just start writing. Start journaling. Start doing the macro thought of just journaling. And then uh, after a while, then I started noticing the chapters that I'd like to have. Then after a while, I started noticing how I'd like to create the sentences and um, what type of resources I'd like. I did research. But I had to learn. I didn't know the whole thing at the time. But I realized this. I got frustrated very quick. Oh, man, this is going to take too long. How in the world does anybody write a book? There's 50,000 things to do. You've got to get an I- I- ISBN number. You have to get proofreaders. All right, you, then you have to proofread. Oh, there's this lady I gave my uh, manuscript to. She sent it back with 500 red markers. It was terrible. I had to rewrite most of the sentences in the entire manuscript. You know how depressing that was? So it took me almost five years because I kept on getting upset, uh, disappointed, and I put the thing down until I finally realized, how do you write a book? One to two pages a day. Don't think about the end. Just think process. Be successful for the day. So I wrote the two pages a day, and uh, maybe I might write three, and then I did one, and I forgot one day. So you immediately get back to it and jump right back on. Every day you do something towards a better future. Today I have the finished book. But it was because I learned that a book isn't, wow, the book is every day. You do little by little by little. Hallelujah. So design your season. Design it. How are you going to operate this Christmas? Design it. 
Decide now, this is how I'm going to react. This is how I'm going to speak. This is how I'm going to proact. In advance, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be a blessing to my family. It's not going to be, off, uh, be about things. I'm going to grab my family. We're going to pray together this year. We're going to do it right this year. And plan it out. And watch, you're going to have a successful Christmas season. Third thing, invest significant time in cultivating love, joy, and peace in this season. I mean, invest time. How many here want love? One person wants love in the back. Okay, sir, bam, you get the love. In order to get love, you need to give love. In order to have friends, you need to be friendly. Yeah, but they never did anything. If they do it, then I'll do it. No, no, no. You do it first. You start cultivating love. You start cultivating joy. You start cultivating peace in the season and watch it come back to you. Well, I did it for this person and he didn't acknowledge it. So too bad. He got love. But guess what? Somewhere along the line, that's going to bear fruit. You might not get it back from him, but you might get it back from her. You might get it back from them. Cultivate love. Cultivate kindness. When you see a, a, a possible kindness that you could share, do it. Don't wait for the next person. You be the person. You be the agent of change. You be the person that brings joy to your family. Hallelujah. Some people in your family need some love. They need some joy. I mean, some people in your family really need some peace. So go in there and bring the peace. Hallelujah. Instead of bringing the drinks. You know, in the past, we used to bring the drinks. Hey, I got the heavy stuff right here. I hear it. Oh, yeah. No, no, forget about that. Bring true peace. Bring true joy. Bring yourself. Bring the love of God. Oh, yeah, I know. I, you know, I was there, too. I was there, too. Invest significant time. We don't invest enough time in loving our people, in loving our children. We don't invest enough time in loving. In the old days, there was no TV, so families would sit down and read together. But now we don't do that anymore. We're so consumed by the, the, the television. We're so consumed by our little gizmos that we're no longer giving to each other. Well, I'm a social person. I'm on FB. I'm on Facebook. I'm not talking about that type of social network. I'm talking about real, tangible. I need to touch somebody. Reach out. Remember that commercial, reach out and touch. Amen. Yeah, I need to touch somebody. I'm glad. My wife is here. Amen. Go away. God. This, this FB thing, this cyberspace. I can't touch anybody. Touch somebody with love. Touch somebody with grace this season. Get out of your home. Get into the homes and visit and pray and be a blessing. Fourth thing. Share God's heart in this season. Share that the Father forgave them. Share his heart. Even what I'm sharing with you today. You know, most people don't know the gospel of Jesus Christ because they're being bombarded by so many different philosophies. No, you share the love of God. Share the fact that Jesus died on the cross so that you can have a better future, so that you can be saved, so you can be a child of God. Amen. He's coming again. I don't know when he's coming. I know he's coming again. But even while I live this life, he is with me. He lives with me. He's, he, he's blessing me. He never leaves me nor forsakes me. Share that message with somebody. Number five, become God's marketing tool this season. Yeah, why not? Become God's marketing tool. You know, when you look at a billboard, you're passing by, you're driving. I'm, I'm the type of person that I get caught by those billboards. I'm not even trying to look at them. I just go on. I'm not even trying. It's, these things are very powerful. They work. But you can be a billboard. When people look at you, what do they see? Who do you reflect? What do you reflect? 
Change it. Change the sign. You know, after a while, sometimes the billboards, they change. I don't know when it happened. I don't know behind the scenes what happened. I just know it changed. Now it's got a different message. Even this thing. Five minutes ago, I had another thing. But now look, see? That just proves the fact that you could change what's on your billboard. What was on your billboard? Oh, man, that dude was nasty. But what's on your billboard today? Various friends of mine, their past life was indeed terrible. But today they're great men of God, they're bishops, they're pastors, they're leaders. You know, your past does not have to determine your future. So change the sign on the billboard. This is the message of Christmas. We're never alone. Number six, determine to become the joy and the peace carrier this season, wherever you go. Determine it. See, you need to decide. It doesn't happen by, by osmosis. You're not just walking down and suddenly, psh, oh man, wow, whew, I just got hit by peace. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You have to determine to be the peace carrier. And in your private prayer class, it just, Father, fill me with, overflow me with peace that I could share it. You know, when you pray that type of prayer, God answers it. God delights when his people want to bring his love and his peace. So you determine that you're going to walk around with the peace of God, with the joy of the Lord. Amen. In, instead of you going Psh, like that, you have to show up in places and people go, Psh, wow, man, you just, wow, something about you. No, serious. People might not know what it is, but something will hit them. Because you carry it. People have told me, you know, you, you have like an aura. I see an aura around you and it's like bluish green. And, no, stop that nonsense. That's the anointing, all right? It's the anointing. <laughs> Some people don't know what it is. It's the anointing of God. It's the grace of God. Amen. So you determine, say to your neighbor, determine, determine. to become the joy and the peace carrier. Amen. Praise God. Number seven. Bring light to the darkness. Are you aware that the word of God and the knowledge of the word of God is light? Light is an awesome thing. We take it for granted. Right now we're experiencing light. That's an extreme... How can I say? It is a, a group of symbiotic things that are happening. Electrons right now are, are fighting each other. They're hitting each other madly in order to create a great amount of resistance. And the resistance inside the tubes creates light. And in the case of these things, there's actually a gas inside that's ignited to give you light. But who told the electrons to hit each other madly? We did. Because we understand the process. If we take a magnet and we pass it right next to a wire, a brass wire or bronze, the electrons inside will move because magnets do that to electrons. If you take two wires and you pass the magnet, in both of those wires, the electrons will move and they'll move the same way. If you take 500 wires, you pass the magnet, all 500 wires within the electrons will move. That's why they take these big motors. If you open up the motor, you will see 10, 20, 30, 100,000 strands of wires all wrapped around, and then the body of it is all magnetized. And when they turn the shaft, the wires now are continuously excited within because the magnets around it, and they shoot a current through the wire. Now what happens is that wire now is carrying power workable, tang tangible power. 
and it gets to the house, and what we do is we take that power and we pass it by a filament, and the filament turns red hot, thus creating light. And what does it do for us? Blesses us. It benefits us. We can see. Without the light, we stub our toe against the wall. Without the light, you run into a wall. Without the light, you hit yourself. You hit somebody else. You don't know. You don't know where you're going. But when somebody brings the light, suddenly you're like, oh, oh, okay. You normalize. That's our normal atmosphere. We were created to live in the context of light, not in the context of darkness. And the enemy operates in darkness. What's darkness? Lack of knowledge. Lack of understanding. When Jesus brought the word, he brought the light. So when we bring the word, we bring the So we get somebody excited. Now, instead of these electrons, one going this way and one going that way and the other one going that way, now suddenly they stand at attention. Oh, we're getting some direction. When we get direction, when we get light, we know where we're going now. I know how my future is going to pan out because now I understand where I should be going, what I should be doing. I've seen the light. You don't have to say Amen. Hallelujah. When, when, when the Lord started giving me understanding of my future, I saw the light. And immediately, I realized I had no more time to be playing basketball, wasting time, playing games. In my days, it was Atari, okay? I mean, you know, just, it just was Atari. You know, tuk-tuk, tuk-tuk, tuk-tuk. But it was still fun. I, I enjoyed it. But I had no longer any time for that because I had to get back to school because I realized I've been wasting all my time because I was in darkness. I didn't understand anything. But now that I understood, I now had a clear marker and indicator where I needed to go. I needed to study this. I needed to prepare this. I needed some new friends because my own friends weren't working out for me. Selah. Some of you have got to let go of some old friends. Because those old friends will keep you in that past place. They'll keep you with those bad habits. You've got to get some new friends. You've got to get some Holy Ghost filled friends. You've got to get some friends that understand the light. That understand the will of the Lord. That will celebrate who you are. You know I can't stand being around people that don't celebrate me. I need to be around people that say, Victor, you can do it. I don't, I'm getting tired. You can do it. I, don't, I said you can do it. It's all right, man. Let's do it. <laughs> I need that. I need that from time to time. I need to be encouraged from time to time. Don't put me down. You know, stir me up. So bring the light to the darkness. Eight, activate the law of sowing and reaping in this season. I have determined to continue to activate the law of sowing and reaping. Because if I put one seed in the ground and I get one tree, that tree is going to birth me a harvest. But what if I put a hundred? What if I put a thousand seeds in the ground? How many trees am I going to get? I'm going to get an entire forest worth of fruit. You know what I love about a seed? Once you plant the seed and it reaps the harvest, it keeps on giving you Season by season by season. So one act of kindness that you might give today might reap you a benefit of years of kindness coming back to you. Hallelujah. 
Glory to God. I've experienced it. I've done a kindness for a person 20 years ago and still to this day. So no, no, no. Listen, you come here. I'm going to pay for that dinner. Or you come here. I, I, I got this for free and I wanted to bless you also. And I got this. It cost me, but I want to bless you. I go, Why? You did something for me. I said, yeah, but that was 20 years ago. I don't care. It's still in my heart. It's that seed that continues to birth over and over and over and over again. Hallelujah. Too much work. I can't. I don't have time to be blessing anybody. Well, you're taking your seed and you're eating it. The pumpkin seed was good, but you're not going to have no pumpkins in the future. The seed that you eat is the seed that you never can benefit from again. So activate the law of sowing and reaping. How can we activate the law of sowing and reaping? Well, we can see a need and meet it. We can be friendly and develop friends. We can sow an act of kindness. We can bring some groceries to somebody. We could buy a, a toy for somebody in Santo Domingo who you do not know. And that child smile because of the toy. You just finished getting your harvest. Guaranteed, you're going to get a harvest from that. We, we don't know. Just I know the scripture says sow in seven, yay, eight fields because you don't know which one's going to prosper. So every time, every chance you have to sow a seed, or whether it be of kindness or friendship or financial gift to somebody or blessing or ministry, whatever it may be, if it's in your hands, if you have the power in your hands to do it at that moment, do it because now you sowed the seed, you sent it into the kingdom of God. Even if you give to the poor, the Bible says that you're just lending to the Lord and he will give back that which you have loaned him. Wow. Wow. My God. When I sow into the kingdom, I'm investing. I'm not losing. When I give to Lotto, I'm losing. When I go to Atlantic City to exercise my arm, this is a bad exercise right here. Some of you get so tired. After why you're like, well, this one. <laughs> so I see little, them retired folk, man. They're, they're there now. Hello. Hello. They're just like so tuned into that thing. It's a scary thing. So somebody said, Pastor, how you know that? See, I've been to those places. That's why. I'm not going to lie. Why do you think I have this right? Well, see, that was like 500. <laughs> it's a bad investment. You're wasting. That's consumerism. But when I invested in the kingdom of God, I will not lose. That's an investment that will give me eternal returns. Amen? The ninth thing is determined to see the best in people in this season. You know, it's our nature to criticize everything that we don't understand. It's our nature to criticize people that don't look like us. We love to criticize people with funny hats. We love to criticize people with bald heads. We love to criticize people with the wrong hairdo. I'm saying we love to criticize everything. If you're wearing plaid or polka dot or whatever it might be, funny shoes, you know, maybe you got a lagaña in your eye or something. Ah, look at that man. You just love to criticize. And I know you people don't do that. The church down the block, they're the ones that do that all the time. But we need to stop that and we need to start looking at the best in people. Everybody has grace in them, everybody's special, everybody's unique. And even some of the crazy things we think in people, it turns out to be a strength in them. How many people used to criticize nerds in the old days? Remember? Nerd! Remember that? <laughs> Never forget that. And chase after those poor little skinny, skinny guys with, you know, lots of curly hair. And, you know, and now, <laughs> Bill Gates. <laughs> Bill Gates is a nerd. 
are very, what do you mean very rich? One of the richest of the world. Yep. I think he bought that, that word. He, he registered nerd so he could throw it away or something like that. I don't know. He's, he's got that much money. People, let's look at the good things in people. Let's search the good things. Let's determine to believe the best in people. Because, you know, there were scientific studies made. And right now, it's an established understanding that when you, you meet a person, you talk to a person, and you decide to focus on the worst part of them, it marks them. And it can mark them for years. And that has happened to all of us here. When we were children, people marked us by, by playing with us or by speaking derogatorily about something that happened. Maybe we would fall a lot. Maybe we had an accent that they didn't like. Uh, you know, whatever it might be. They didn't like our hair. Well, whatever it might be. Maybe too skinny. Uh, somebody criticized you. And to this day, you still feel the pain of that. But they have found that when you take a person and you start focusing on their good parts, immediately something shifts in them and they start doing better. They did studies in in some schools where they took two classes and they told one class, listen, you guys, you're an elite group and this is what we're asking you to do. You're going to do this, this, this. And they had them do work well above their grade level. And then they took another class and it says, although you are in the bottom percentile, we're going to ask you to do this. I know it's going to be hard for you, but you're going to just try it. And what happened was they told the group that had the lowest scores that they were the elite group. And that they were the ones that were expected to do the highest. And they took the smart guys and told them that they were in the bottom. But see, they did it as a test. But the groups didn't know that. So the groups of people that were underperforming, underachieving, they got called elite. At the end of the year, they had the highest scores, the best grades, best performing, best behaving. The group that had the best, the highest IQ in the whole thing, they did the worst. Strictly because the instructor kept on speaking to them and putting down their potential. My question is, what have we done for people? Do we release them to be all they can be, or are we a lid? Do we speak to them in in a way that shuts them down, or do we speak into the core of the destiny of a person? Hallelujah. So understand that what you determine to see in people and speak into them and and declare in them, that's going to impact them. It's going to mark them for better or for worse. And lastly, say with me, lastly, See, now everybody's happy, right? And I saw one person was, lastly, (laughs) determined to develop a personal relationship with the reason for the season, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the reason. He's the reason for my being. He is my strength. He's my joy. It's not just for me a holiday. I'm not just here to celebrate a holiday. I don't care about the holiday per se. We have lots of holidays throughout the year. This means a lot more to me than just, it's the most wonderful time of the year. You know, I mean, all those songs, after a while, one lady, I went into a store, and one lady says, oh, turn that radio off. Please turn that radio off. You know, because they, it's, after a while, it drives you crazy. 
It's not about those songs. It's not about, it's about the person of Jesus Christ. I don't want to have a relationship with him so I become a member of a local church. I want to have a relationship with him because he's my awesome God, my Savior, my Lord, my King, my Blesser. He's my, my head bishop, my chief apostle. You know, he's my shepherd. Hallelujah. I shall not want, because this shepherd leads me to pastures, greener pastures. I shall not want. You know what it said in in Psalms 23? Um, David had a momentary revelation of the shepherd. And he, he said, you know, I shall not want. This shepherd leads me to still waters. This shepherd leads me even through the valley of the shadow of death. I won't fear any evil. And for those of you that have been here for a while, you know the valley of the shadow of death. That's an actual place in Israel. And it's a place with a very uh, tight walkway, and, and it's, it's nestled between two mountains. And what happens is when you go into that place, it's so tight that the sheep can't turn back around. So once they're in there, they can't back out. And the reason why they can't back out is it's one sheep after another. So once you're in there, you don't see the sun anymore. It gets very dark, that place. So the only thing that gives comfort to the sheep is as the shepherd, okay, come on, come on, come on, sheep. I'm still here, I'm still here. So they hear the voice of their shepherd, they'll continue to go forward until they get to the other side. If they didn't hear the voice of their shepherd, they would get nervous, they would get afraid, and they would, you know, freak out. How many of you, sometimes, you don't hear the voice of your shepherd, you start freaking out in your situation. You start getting worried, you start getting afraid. That's all right. You hear the voice of your shepherd. You, you know the, the voice of the Lord. You know the word of God. It comforts you. I won't fear. And then he says this, and I love this. He says, you prepare a table in the presence of mine enemies. I love it. This shepherd is awesome. Because in the midst of trouble, in the midst of my enemies attacking me, God's feasting. And he's saying, son, come into the table. So I'm sitting there, and I'm feasting with Jesus. And meanwhile, my enemies are... And they can't do anything about it. You prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. The fox comes in, the wolf comes in, and he can't touch me. Why? Because Jesus, the head shepherd, is right there next to me. Glory to God. Hallelujah. For those of you that didn't have the benefit of hearing uh, a little testimony I have, um, I'll share it because it really speaks to this. Uh, I know some of you have heard it 20 times, so let me just share it one more time. I'm in, I'm in high school, and I'm in the lunchroom, and, you know, they would lock the doors. And uh, guards or teachers would stand by the doors so that none of us would escape. Into, are you, was it, uh, Tom, uh, was it uh, Samuel Gumpers? It just goes to show you how far away that was. And in Samuel Gumpers, all boys school at that time. But they would lock us in. And then we'd eat. But I saw something that really spoke to me. Um, A freshman. He comes up with his freshman, uh, sophomore, junior, and senior, right? So ninth grade freshmen, they would come in. And, you know, freshmen, they were just starting to change. They weren't talking like us men. They would talk like this. (laughs) And, you know, they would squeal and squeak. So this freshman gets up and he goes right to the teacher who's standing by the door. Let me out. So I looked, and you know, I know what he's going to say. He's going to say, sit down. But no, this time, the teacher didn't say that. He looked at the boy, and then he went like this. He moved over, and the boy went out. I said, man, look at that. See, but this is where I learned, and then the Lord spoke to me in that scenario. Because what was happening, the, the kid went, let me out. And then a big senior was behind him and says, that's right, he's with me. 
And so the teacher wasn't intimidated at the little freshman. He was intimidated at the big six foot four guy behind him. So he let them both out. And then the Lord spoke to me. He said, see, that's my relationship with you. You go to the devil, you come out of him. Come out in Jesus' name. Come out. Right? And then Jesus is right next to me. He says, that's right. He's with me. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> so, apart from God, I would, he would smack me against the wall. But because Jesus lives large within me, the enemy goes just, of course you're going to bless him. You know, he, he's got you. You've covered him. Uh, every side, he's covered by, by your protection. Says, that's right. He's mine. Don't touch him. Leave him alone. Come on, praise him. He's worthy. Develop a personal relationship with the reason for the season. Develop a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. At age 15, I knew I was going nowhere. I had nothing. I was just going to be a quick statistic. But at age 15, I had a remarkable experience. Somebody came to me and shared the love of God with me. Shared that God can change my future, my destiny, my purpose. He, he has it in, in his bosom and he can share it with me. And I can live in victory. And I said, wow, I never knew that. I, I knew that in the Catholic Church there was a man on the cross, but he was very sad. And he looked like he was crying. And he looked like he was defeated. But this Jesus they were talking about had come off of the cross. Had resurrected. Hallelujah. Had come up again. And rose in power and glory and authority. And he now holds the keys of death, hell and grave in his hand. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. He's no longer the suffering Messiah. He's the reigning King. And He's my Heavenly Father. And He's my Lord. And He's on my side. So I might sound like a lowly freshman when I command the Word, but I have authority behind the words. Because I have the reason for the season authorizing my very action. Authorizing my prophetic words. Authorizing my praise. Authorizing my standing God. Authorizing my attempts to, 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 to advance in life. Hallelujah. He is with me. Say to your neighbor, He is with you. Come on, let's all stand and praise Him a bit. Come on, give Him some praise. I don't care what you sound like. It's the authority that you have. It's the authority that you have. I don't care if you could be a four foot two police officer, but the badge will authorize you. You can still make arrests. They still have to respect you because you, you carry the badge. And in our spirit, we have a badge. And the enemy sees the badge. And Hallelujah. A man and a woman who understands their authority, hallelujah, is a threat against the kingdom of the devil. Glory to God. So ten things. Say with me, ten things that I will determine to do in this season. And now I add, and in the year 2011, because this is not just about a season. This is about the rest of your life. You can determine to live in victory every day of your life. You can determine to be in joy every day of your life. You can determine to be in peace every day of your life. You can determine to live in your authority and walk in your authority and speak your authority every day of your life. Hallelujah. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we worship you. We ascribe unto thee all the glory, the honor, and the praise. We thank you for your word, for your kindness. Thank you for 
manifesting the light and giving us understanding that we may rejoice in your word, that we might rejoice in your promises. Thank you for turning our situation around. Thank you for restoring hope to us. Thank you for restoring faith. Because faith is the substance of things uh, hoped for, evidence of things not seen. Your word said it's impossible to please you apart from faith. So this moment, Lord, I speak to your people, the people of faith, the people that have trusted in you, the people that believe in your name. And I've reminded them, Lord God, that this season is not all about the gifts we will receive. It's not all about having. It's not all about things. It's not about materialism. It's about the gift giver. You already gave the gift on the cross. And we now have eternal life in you. All things are new in Christ. And I thank you that in the coming days, you're going to allow us to be as ones that would share the light. That we would share hope and joy and peace. That we would share your authority. We will help, Lord God, to get people delivered and set free and encouraged, uplifted and restored in the coming days because you have given us the privilege also to share in that wonderful gospel, to be co-laborers with you in bringing the light to a lost and dying world. So I pray your blessing upon your people. I pray that boldness would arise like never before in your people, Lord God. Oh, Father, may your word, may your testimony be strong in their lips in this season, my God. May they prophesy to their circumstances. May they prophesy to their environments, Lord God. And may they determine, Lord God, to be all that you call them to be this season. And may they determine to celebrate the real reason for the season. And we'll be careful to give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.